spinning back to the open side. Karim Bete, Optical here for Samu, who's quick. Pete Samu looking for Karim Bete. Back to Samu. Oh, that is wonderful. That is wild. That is amazing from the Wallabies. Welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby, where the people's podcast providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. Match reviews, player interviews, quality rugby chat that is consistent and positive. We do it all for you, our dear listeners. I'm your host, Ando. With me is Mitch, and tonight we have a lot to be covering. But before we begin, Mitch, how you doing, mate? It's been a big weekend. Very excited. Lots to talk about tonight. Uh, an international signing or a, a new big signing that's all across the news from the NRL, which I'm looking forward to chatting about. So, And then we've got a lot of rugby to chat about too. So lots to be positive about in the game of union at the moment. Yep, how bloody brilliant. So why don't, I ju- why don't I jump on in and explain what we're covering. So obviously we are going to look at the Joseph Sueli signing, which is just making waves across all the news networks around the country. Absolutely brilliant that we've been able to land uh, such a talented player for 2024 and beyond. We're going to then move on to our round five thoughts for the Super Rugby Pacific, as well as speaking to Super W Round One. The competition kicked off this week. We already mentioned it in our Instant Reaction podcast, which was out late on Saturday night. And then we'll be focusing in based upon your votes on the Rebels versus Reds match down in Melbourne. Absolute cracker of a game. And then finally, we're going to finish off with an NRL 15. One of our listeners contacted us and asked um, if we could try our best to put in together a, a 15 aside team made up purely of NRL players. And it wasn't easy because Mitch and I don't watch that much NRL. So uh, this is going to be fun yeah, to see all. how well we've gone. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to be right. an interesting one, especially when props and hookers don't really exist. Like union props and hookers don't exist in leagues, so trying to find players to fit or that second row was either fine. really, yeah, yeah, it was it's an odd one. Um, so <laughs> the, there's a few positions that we we've, we've struggled with, but it was fun anyway. So Mitch, why don't you take us through the Super Rugby tipping? Fantastic. So well done to everyone that was involved in their tips this week. Uh, we did have uh, Jojo Rabbit or Dan G, who's up in first place on uh, 26 points. Well done to him. Followed closely by Jonah. Um, and then we've got old boys JK Manjeet in third place on 25 points. So well done to everyone there. You can see also in the blue there, if you are watching along hey. on YouTube, that Ando's currently coming 44th. I actually haven't checked where I am, but pretty let's low, say it's You're nowhere near as good as 44th. <laughs> yeah, I kept it in there just because I'm pretty happy that I'm no longer like 140th like it was a few weeks ago. So uh, I'll take that. I'll take that. Um, it's really, really tight at the moment. So second and third were both on 25 points in what we just displayed. There's about eight other people also on 25 points. So the competition is close and it means you really need to be consistent over the long term because it's going to be hard to stand out at the end unless you've been picking well the whole season. So I think... Our, and it really goes to show the, the value then of that... W- match of the week the margin that you have to pick uh, on yep. super uh, super tipping so yep exactly yeah. exactly well ladies and gentlemen as always we have two simple calls to action before we jump on into the pod proper please join our discord channel to be a part of the best australian rugby community going around absolutely no exaggeration it is the best and the link to it is on any of our social media profiles Awesome people, great rugby chat, great banter about anything and everything. It is a lot of fun. So make sure you get involved and join there. And then secondly, please consider going to ko-fi.com, so coffee.com slash pick and drive rugby and supporting us with a one-off or monthly payment. We do this for love, not money, but every little bit counts. So thank you very much for those who are supporting the pod. So now, why don't we move on and we'll get into the big news of the weekend. Let's get into it. I can't wait. Rugby Australia and the New South Wales Waratahs have announced that they have signed Joseph Suali'i from October 24 until at least the end of 2027. 
Mitch, this is absolutely massive news. He is one of the most hyped young players in rugby league. And before he signed his contract with the Roosters, there was a lot of talk about him coming over to the Wallabies. What did you think when you first heard this news? Were you excited? Were you concerned about the $1.6 million per year that's getting spent on him? Um, what were your instant reactions? I guess the the biggest one is the amount of money that we're throwing into this guy. And like from all reports, he's a superstar. He's not, we don't have a talent like him in the game. Um, he, he rivals the sort of aerial ability of Israel Folau. And when he was playing schoolboys rugby, he was just going from strength to strength. So that part of me is excited to see that kind of uh, presence in the 15 man code. But I, I do, um, I'm, I struggle to get my head around the fact that they're paying him $1.6 million a year where that money's coming from, how we can really justify it when we're talking about trying to fund a women's program that's somewhat professional at the moment and isn't going to be professional for another few years and we take a big chunk of money away from that to fund one player that's coming across who, I mean, has the ability to be an absolute superstar world, you know, a a world-class player that's talked about all over the world and is in up there with names like Cheslin Colby and Dan Carter. But at the same time, he could come in and, I hope not, but could come in and do something like Sully Vunavalu and, and just have a few, a few bad injuries, injuries for yeah. those first year or two and really yep. start to hamper that progression. Well, I mean, part of the challenge with this is that um, the, you, you can have two sets of feelings at once or two perspectives on this at once, right? And we can have the perspective yep. that he's a really, really exciting talent. And I love that we have been able to poach one of the best and brightest from league and bring him across to union. And he's a player that has a background playing union at a high schoolboy level as well. So he's not a stranger to the game. But at the same time... Yep. We can also recognise, um, and it kind of t- ties back to the conversation we had previously about with Annika Jamison about the funding of women's rugby, that, I mean, where's this money coming from? If we've got these kind of private benefactors that are just happy to splurge or drop like a million, $3 million over the course of the contract or something like that, then why is it that there aren't, they aren't coming out and helping to support the women's game as well? And there are some... It's hard because you can talk about factors that women's rugby isn't a sustainable product at this point in time, um, that the money and the sponsorship and the, sorry, the um, broadcast revenue isn't there to help repay investments and stuff like that. It's a really challenging thing. So I kind of just want to acknowledge the difficulty of this signing in the broader context of the funding of the game of rugby within Australia, but also, man, I'm excited watching highlight reels and that type of thing gets me really hyped for what he might be when he comes across to both the Waratahs and the um, Australian yeah. rugby and the Wallabies moving forward. Yeah, I'm really excited to get him into the 15-man code and see what he can do, particularly 2025 is going to be his first year in rugby. It's a Lions year. It's a World Cups in 2027. Like the, the sky's the limit for what he can do in our game, and he has already shown through those highlights that he, he instinctively, he's just got that talent that, uh, is hard to teach, hard to coach. He just has it. And so it's going to be exciting to see what he can bring to the code. If he can sort of lift the the fortunes of the Waratahs a little bit, and definitely if he, he might be that deciding factor for the Wallabies to get us over the line in that British and Irish Lions series come 2025, which is so exciting. Very much so. So he actually signs in October of 2024. So my bet is that he'll be touring on the spring tour, maybe as a development player. Um, to just be part of that high performance environment within the game of rugby union. So that will hopefully make his transition back to the 15-man game better in 2025. Maybe he gets some game time, maybe not. It'll be dependent upon injuries and player availability and that kind of thing. Um, So, I mean, it's really exciting. He... The, the, the comment if that does from... happen, though, Ando, just saying, yep. if that does happen, he'd be the first player in Wallabies history to play a, a test match before he's played a Super Rugby game. No, Matt Giddo. Matt Giddo did. Um, he, I don't think he had A test played... match, though? He played yeah. sevens. I, I thought he had played up, at least one or two for the Brumbies before. But anyway. I didn't think so, but, but we'll see. Um, oh, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. It was, it was really soon, but anyway. Okay, cool. So one of the quick things I wanted to mention there, Hamish McLennan, Rugby Australia chairman, just did a massive mic drop um, with the announcement that RA put about this signing. He didn't 
go through and kind of wax lyrical about the qualities of Suali'i, all he said was, welcome back to rugby, Joseph. Now, I admire the um, Truspa there, the the kind of um, the attitude that McLennan does bring to public negotiations. I may not always like it, but I do, I can see the positives there. Um, interestingly, though, he actually didn't start playing rugby union he actually grew up playing rugby league and then when he went to kings he he started playing rugby union at kings um and played kind of first 15 all the way throughout um high school even kind of at a young age he was on a rugby scholarship yeah rugby scholarship and he juggled his league and union commitments so it to say that he his life began in rugby union and now he's just coming home not entirely accurate <laughs> um and is a nice kind of blurring of the truth there but hey it's it's a good media story so i can see why they're doing it um he's a huge, huge the kind guy. of media One- storm all around this signing has been so interesting to watch ra mm. has said very little like you just mentioned hamish mcclendon has said a few things and and um uh, Marinos has said one or two things as well, but not not a substantial amount. But you can't you can read in nearly four or five different interviews the the NRL CEO has come out and just badmouthed it, badmouthed the move. Said, "Oh, he'll be back in league. <laughs> he'll be back in league within three years. He'll get bored playing union. Yada yada yada." Like you don't need to do that. It's signed. It's done. Just just be like. It's unfortunate that he's leaving your game, but just be gracious about it because hopefully. In your eyes, he'll come back after those three years in in rugby. We'd love to see him be a long term signing and stick around like he's Ralph Lau, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you know that you don't want to burn those bridges before that even happens. Exactly. I thought the Roosters were very um were very I don't know professional if that's the right word. I'm trying to think of the right magnanimous. Uh, they said um, Jason is uh, Joseph has been transparent with the club and we respect his decision. Uh, Trent Robertson, the coach, said he's made his commitment to the Roosters Club for the next year and a half, crystal clear, and we're excited about the path we're on. Simple, to the point, respectful. That's how you do it. Peter Vlandis, you're a bit of a tool. But let's move on. And there's a couple of other I didn't big... even want to give him the airtime or call him out. That's why I was just referring to him as the NRL CEO. I've got oh, a question for you, Andrew, around this signing. The <laughs> anyway, <carry laughs> we won't stoop to Eddie's level. I don't think we have the reputation yet to be able to back that up. But... This we'll leave true. that in Eddie's court. Question for you, Ando. What yep. does this signing mean for Max Jorgensen? Uh, there's been some rumours today come out that now uh, the Sydney Roosters are trying to chase him as a, as a replacement for Suwali. Um, do you think that particularly the Waratahs can sustain two high-profile 15s? Yeah, definitely. Without a doubt, because Jorgensen has also shown he can play wing. And Suwali is a wing in... Um, league, so it's not as though he wants to be, be a fullback. Yeah, yeah, correct. I know, but all I'm saying is they can play like 11, 14, 15. Um, and if you look at our back three stocks, it's only Peach that's particularly young is going to be. Con- oh, sorry, no one going to us that as well. I apologize. Um, but if you if you go Peach, no one going to us say Jorgensen and um, Suali, that's a freaking killer back three right there in a couple of years time. And so if the question is, can we afford them all? Yeah, maybe not. And so there might need to be some players um, moving to other opportunities because we simply can't afford to keep them all. Um, or, but if but if the question is, um, is Jorgensen now going to be out of the picture, then I don't think so because he's still young and he's going to get opportunities to develop for the next, like all of this year and all of next year. It's not as though Swirly is coming in right now and kicking him out of his position. He's got another season and two-thirds to be able to cement his spot within a team before Swilly even comes into the picture. Yeah, my biggest fear is that he will just see there's like a, a bit of a, uh, almost like a glass ceiling of where he can get to with the Wallabies, that he might be able to make it this year or next year, and that's premature, I know. But once Suwali comes, he, he'll predominantly be that 15 jersey for the Wallabies because of the amount of money he's on and the hype that he brings and all of those things. So I wouldn't be surprised if Jorgensen does take the opportunity to swap across to the NRL, being that he's only played two years of rugby so far or when he's off contract, um, and then maybe do what Swali's done and swap later on because he's got so many years ahead of him. I just don't think that we can have, we don't have space in the Wallabies particularly for the back three of uh, Nwanganitawasi, Suwali, 
Jorgensen, Kellaway, Marika Korobetti, like these guys in two or three years' time are all going to be juggling for uh, for game time. And when you've yep. got money, potentially big money, that the NRL is willing to pay for him, it, it, it does talk. Yeah, interesting. Like, good, good question. Interesting conversation, but I'm really not concerned about it at this point. I think... Like, it's a relatively we've premature. Got, we've got Soali. That's the main yeah. thing. Yeah, we've got him and it's Focus all pretty premature. Exactly. So a couple of other yeah. news points before we th- are then going to push into the games. Firstly, um, Eddie update, Eddie watch. He's now ha- hired two more um, staff for his co- coaching team for the Wallabies. You have Neil Hatley, scrum coach, who was with him in the England setup and actually was a big part of the most recent tour down under. Um, and then you also have David Rath, who is coming in as a learning coordinator, which is really interesting. He's basically coming across from um, AFL and it seems to be it's more of like a a role where he's trying to bring professional knowledge and expertise from a whole bunch of areas and amalgamate it together into the Wallabies coaching setup and so it's he, he's the one that's going to be behind the scenes asking the hard questions um, trying to drive the quality of conversations technology information that is being used to make decisions within the setup so it's an interesting one it's an interesting one, but we have, I know it's completely different, but we have kind of similar people within my work set up, um, external people that come in <laughs> and kind of ask those that, that they genuinely do try and drive. I mean, we call it teaching and learning, but essentially it's an idea of like, the like innovation of the environment. Yeah. Innovation within um, yeah. our environment and how we're using different pieces of information to make positive and informed decisions. And I wonder if it's a similar role within the coaching setup at the yep. Wallabies. That's what it sounds yeah, like anyway. see how it works out in, in actuality, yeah. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Um, okay, Scott Robinson, finally been announced All Blacks coach. Uh, New Zealand rugby, like sometimes I really like them because it helps me feel better about the occasional ineptitude of Rugby Australia. So thank you, New Zealand rugby, for helping me feel good this weekend. When you announced the signing of Scott Robinson as All Blacks coach after the World Cup, but hadn't even managed to verbally tell Ian Foster the incumbent coach that the deal was done and there was going to be a press announcement before it. So that was just ridiculous, incredibly unprofessional. That's my take on it, Mitch. What did you think when you first heard this news? I mean, I, I personally think we sit here as, as rugby Australia fans and we can't throw out, we can't throw too much uh, shade across the ditch, so to speak. I mean, we, we sacked our coach with no notice, gave him a full training weekend with the squad days before sacking him and then announcing his replacement. He wasn't even told in person that he was getting the sack either. So he was told beforehand. He was told beforehand. By Zoom. I mean, we might as well have done it over Zoom or not on StreamYard (laughs) as well. Live streamed it to YouTube. Next time, um, when Eddie finally leaves, when Eddie finally leaves Rugby Australia, we're happy to have that conversation. Okay, so we'll just set it up. We're going to live record it. We'll, we'll tell Eddie that he's done um, in maybe eight years' time or something like that. We'll do it for you, and uh, we're happy to because it seems like that's the current modus operandi for Rugby Australia, anyway. Yeah, outsource that for sure. They won't have yep. to want to. They don't want to have those difficult conversations. But yeah, <laughs> I, I, it's it's unfortunate. I mean, it's the most worst kept secret in world rugby. Everyone knew that it was going to Scott Robinson. He had basically told the media weeks ago that he was going to be announced immediately. Was Jamie Joseph ever really in the running? I don't think we'll ever know. Uh, But, you know, it it throws a lot of uh, doubt over Ian Foster's uh, progression this year. Uh, And it sort of says, they've come out and said, you know, we support him. He's our man for 2023. He'll see us through to the World Cup. But it doesn't really show they've got a lot of respect for him or his setup by the way they've handled this announcement. So... Um, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Hopefully, from an Australian perspective, it means that the whole the wheels fall off the bus, they lose the bladder slow, they lose the rugby champs, and they get kicked out in the quarters. And that's that's just a win for rugby. Yep, yep, definitely, definitely. Um, mate, I think we've covered all the news. I think we're good to move on now to the Super Rugby and Super W um, rounds. Anything else? I agree with you. Let's uh, let's get going. Let's go. Let's go.
All right, this weekend saw the first official kickoff of Super W for 2023. We had three headers of double he- two double headers and one uh, international fixture for the first time in Super W history, which was fantastic to see. Running through the results, interesting to, to point out, we had two games with the exact same score. So I don't think anyone would have put money on that at the last week or prior to kickoff, but uh, kicking things off in Sydney on Friday night, we had the Waratahs women hosting the Western Force. They came away 43-0 victors in that uh, in that game. Then we went across to Fiji for the second game of the weekend, and that was uh, Fijiana uh, Drewer hosting the Brumbies. Um, I'm just looking at that score now, and I don't think that score is actually correct. I don't no, think it was that mate. high, was it? It's 12-7. Yeah, so that's... Um, I. That hasn't been... Ignore that one. It was 12-7 in that. I'm looking at that thinking, geez, I don't remember that many points being scored. So 12-7 to the Indrua in that game, uh, or Fijiana. And then for the final game of the weekend, uh, the second doubleheader saw the Rebels hosting the Queensland Reds women's team before the uh, Super Rugby Pacific game down in Melbourne. And the Queensland Reds came away victorious 43-0. to over the Rebels there. So, Ando, we were at uh, Allianz Stadium for the kickoff. Well, we missed kickoff, but we were there for the first women's <laughs> game traffic. for the Waratahs. What were your sort of takeaways from that game? Yeah, look, um, we've spoken about it in a fair bit of detail in an instant reaction pod, so I'll just give a really quick summary. Um, go back and listen to that in your podcast feed if you um, have the opportunity. But basically... The Waratahs were simply too good, too strong, and really were able to put a lot of pressure on the force with the quality of the Tars' defence, which forced them, forced the force into a whole bunch of errors. And it just meant that the force weren't able to get any particular phase play on. They kept coughing over the ball, uh, and the Waratahs were just too... Um, I'm not going to say clinical because they did have their own moments of uh, loose handling, but they had their systems and knew how they wanted to play and they were able to execute that far better than the Force were able to in the evening. So a deserved victory for the Waratahs who really didn't look troubled by the Force. And I think it was very similar in the third game of the round with the Rebels and the Reds. Uh, The Reds looking good early on in the season and and putting some good uh, phases together. Again, the Rebels quite similar to the force, just not able to really get into the game. few unforced errors, just dropping ball and, and getting dominated quite badly in the set piece by the Reds women's team. So uh, two teams that are sort of putting their hands up as uh, leading favorites at the moment in the competition, the Waratahs and the Reds, but you can't discount the Fijiana and Drua at all when you consider the conditions that that game was played in. Maybe not, definitely not as high scoring as um, the other two games, but the Fijiana and Drua team, geez, I mean, they've, they've really started their season well, like the men's team, throwing the ball around, scoring crazy tries, just keeping that ball alive whenever possible. Yeah, that was an interesting game, the um, Fijiana and Drua versus the Brumbies, because you, the, the first try that they scored was exactly that. It was a um, length of the field try, going out wide, getting a couple of offloads, and then just run it, running the field. And so that was great, great to see, really entertaining, but... At the same time, the Brumbies were able to kind of um, force a lot of handling mistakes from the Fijiana team as well and were able through Grace Kemp to go over in like the 50-something minute to bring the game in pretty close before a late later try to, um, who was it, Mothe Sawana, the number 14 for the Fijiana. She is absolutely rapid. Wouldn't surprise me if she's like one of the fastest players going around. So next time you watch the Fijiana team, watch for number 14, Mothe Sawana. She was absolutely brilliant. Really good to watch. I think well, uh, just a sort of general theme for the round, which was exciting to see for 2023, is there's a lot of debutants across all the teams and across the competition that we've we've seen a little bit of a shift away from, and that generally comes after a World Cup year. Some players retiring, some other players moving overseas to pursue opportunities there, which has given the uh, opportunity, I don't want to use the word again, but uh, <laughs> for some younger players to come in and sort of give their give them their first taste of Super W. So uh, again, we're talking around how this is a start for the women's team and or the women's game. And ideally, you want to see more from them. But just the fact that we do have this what is it? Six week or five week competition ahead of us is really look is really exciting to look forward to. Yep, definitely, mate. Well, that's honestly it. I haven't had a chance to watch the um, Reds Rebels game, so I don't have anything to add to there. But 
Do you think Easy. we should be moving I'm already ahead of you, mate. I've moved the slide along, so let's oh, just keep going. News. So let's, let's go, go into Super Rugby Pacific, and we'll um, hopefully I've got all these scores right. And if I've got them wrong, I apologize off the bat. But <laughs> um, we'll start off with the game that was in Christchurch on Friday afternoon. The Crusaders hosting the Brumbies. 35-17 was the result there. We then moved to Sydney for the Waratahs hosting the Chiefs. 24-14 to the Chiefs in that game. We then moved across back over the ditch to Dunedin where uh, the Highlanders absolutely pounced and just put the Fijian Drua to shreds in some regards. An off night for the Drua, unfortunately, 57-24 in that game. Uh, We then had Moana Pacifica hosting the Hurricanes and, again, not their night, not their day, 59-0 in that game to the Hurricanes. We then moved down to Melbourne, which is the game of the round, and I'm looking forward to talking about that a little bit later. But that was a 40 to 34 victory to the, the Melbourne Rebels. So well done to them. Ando, you are sporting your Melbourne Rebels top in um in all of its pride and all of its pink glory. So well <laughs> done there. And then this afternoon we did have the Blues and the Force um over in Auckland at Eden Park. The Blues, too good there, 30 to 17. Uh as you sort of highlighted before in the Super W. We've done our instant reaction pod, so the, our thoughts are out in detail around that for uh, the Tars and Chiefs game. But out from the games that we haven't already spoken about, which one sort of jumps out to you, other than maybe the Rebels and Reds? We'll leave that for later. What game jumps out to you? Yeah, well, um, Crusaders versus Brumbies is probably in some ways a bit of a disappointment of the round in terms of both teams taking an opportunity to rest some of their key international players, particularly from the Brumbies. The Crusaders have such a stacked squad that they can have some pretty star and talented players coming in. Um, and the Brumbies systems are good that you expect anybody that comes into the starting or into the 23 to be able to perform well, which they largely did. But just within this game, it was really disappointing because there were two excellent teams. Brumbies were coming into it unbeaten. They might well have been able to come away with a win if they had targeted this game. Um, and winning away against Crusaders would have been immense. Uh, so, as always, defence was willing. A um, couple of really good tries. Corey Toole had a couple more opportunities to show his quality and his space. Um, quality in space and yeah look it's just disappointing that we weren't able to see the full squads for both teams come up against each other it was one of those situations where you, you definitely think about Stephen Larkin managing his squad for the whole season and that maybe he sort of thought well we'll we're doing well in the first five rounds we will we're most we're up there in the top of the table let's rest a few players now let's not show our hand too much against the Kiwi teams and we'll hold back a little bit and hopefully we can come firing later in the season when we verse them again, maybe in the playoffs. Um, It's touch and go because it it doesn't really sit right with you as an Australian fan. You want to beat the Kiwis at every opportunity you can get. Now, the Brummies didn't play badly in this game, but it just goes to show that when you're not at your full strength and you don't have some of your strike players on the field, that these New Zealand teams are just so good and they can just rip you to shreds. And I think that's what we saw. A few unforced errors, a few... um, opportunities where the Brumbies were also in in position to score points and just weren't able to set it off, uh, which was disappointing. And I think they probably learned a lot this week and they'll take a lot of learnings from that. Um, It'll be interesting to see how they bounce back against the Waratahs next week. Um, If we look at the Highlanders, Drew a game in Mawan and Hurricanes, it's a bit hard to sort of get a feel of both of these games with the scoreline. Were you able to catch any of these games? Did you have any sort of thoughts on them? Yeah, I've watched the mini of Moana Hurricanes and um, the extended highlights of Highlanders Drua. And I've just got to say for Moana, like I really like them, but they were poor in so many ways. To get to get pumped by 59 points is really disappointing. Uh, and that's coming from a Waratahs fan over the last few seasons, so know what it feels like. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's just disappointing. And it just shows the difficulty that I think Moana have in comparison to the Indrua that even the Indrua didn't play well going down 57 to 24, but it's still slightly more respectable in in the case of they're able to actually make some breaks and get points on the board, um, despite racking up a bit of a cricket score in in their own defense. And so I just feel like the Drua are a little bit ahead of Moana in terms of the um, the consistency of their team and squad and the way in which they're trying to play, which is pretty unsurprising considering um, that fact that it's a Fijian squad, not a broader Pacifica squad like Moana is. Yep. So you have a lot more um, sure. 
continuity between the players and the expectations if they're coming in from the local club system, that kind of thing. Yeah, so I don't know. That's just a broad comment. Both of these games are just so one-sided. There's not really a huge amount you can take from it for either the Highlanders or the... It was really unfortunate in a lot of ways. The the Druid didn't play badly, particularly that first 20 minutes, and they were matching the the Highlanders and actually scored a few tries and got ahead on the scoreboard. But then their discipline started to get out of hand and they started to give away a lot of penalties, gave away a yellow card or two, and the game just got away from them. And when it got away from them, it wasn't so much like they were panicking and just not doing the right thing, but they just they didn't seem to have a way to to sort of right themselves, almost like they had a lack of leadership and they had got themselves into a hole and weren't quite sure how to get out of it. The high, yeah. high, Highlanders were punishing them a lot for that. Yeah, I mean, you look at the penalties conceded, 14 penalties by the by the Andrua to five for the Highlanders and um, 15 turnovers conceded by the Drua to nine for the Highlanders. So it just shows that um, when they're on song and passes are going to hand, they they can beat anybody as they proved by beating the Crusaders at home the other week. Uh, but if they can get put off their game and early scores put up against them and they're forced to chase... Um, it, it can be really, really difficult. Sometimes it comes off, as we saw against the Reds, chasing the Reds game um, last week. But sometimes, yeah, they, it, everything just goes to ground, start getting frustrated, silly penalties, and the game just gets away from them too quickly. Yeah. Uh, last game of the round was the Blues and the Force. A bit of a disappointing result there for the Force. One thing I would say is that if they were able to kick their, penal- their, their penalties and their con- um, conversions, they're probably in this game a little bit tighter. They just did not have their kicking boots on this today and i mean this blues team is just going from strength to strength at the moment and i think most people predicted this kind of result in this game yeah 25 percent kicking outcome for um the force which is really really disappointing um it's probably why you do want ian prior on the field just for his kicking ability if um not much else because it's gareth simpson still playing pretty well enjoying it oh by the way sam spink i thought he was excellent for the force um, I thought he had a really, really strong game, carrying well, making good decisions, strong tackling and defense. I really, really rate him. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I've got him on my fantasy team this week. But uh, <laughs> I did rate him in preseason as well before he got a bit, before he got his injury. Uh, the only good thing I think that comes from this is that we get the opportunity to have more Michael Wells sad reacts in a Discord chat because uh, he gave another post-match presser that was... Um, <laughs> laying into the team a bit and making sure the players were really pushing hard and wanting the win and working hard for the win. Didn't think the players wanted it enough. And so <laughs> we we get more of those memes that can be coming along. Um, highlight, Chase TT's <laughs> little kick through for Michael Wells. That was that was a nice little play. Um, we saw that as well in the Rebels game, and we'll get to that in a moment, but Stacey Ely's little kick through yeah. for Monty Yuani and then Ryan Aaron's yeah. is great. Loving the variation in the short kicking game that a few of the Aussie teams have been bringing in in the last few weeks. And who, and while we're on it, who in the Blues game, who was the winger that, that finished off that try? Um, Perifetic kicks it across, he goes high, ends up sort of nearly sitting on top of Chase Tia Tia, and then oh. sort of spins and gets the ball down. Yeah, that was, I'm not that very was good awesome. at pronouncing this. I saw that this. on socials. <laughs> um, Ratu Matavuku Nipkins. Uh, apologies, I've done my best yeah. there. Um, so yeah, so Jacob is his first name. Yeah, that was that was big. He that nearly could have turned badly for Chase Tiatia <laughs> with a red card or something. Yeah, just the aerial ability of him in the air to kind of twist his body, get his foot down to sort of stable himself, and then get the ball yep. down. Like, yep, that, that was, was freakish in a lot of ways. That was really. Yeah, they're really good. So, again, it's just showing how quality the Blues are, um, that even if they didn't play amazingly throughout this game, they were still pretty comfortable within the win. Uh, So they just roll on again. And they keep on rolling. Well, that's. uh, I think it's time now to move into our match of the week. And if you didn't catch the intro, this match of the week this week is the Melbourne Rebels shock defeat. uh, Shock. Well, they defeated (laughs) the Reds. So their shock victory over the Red the Reds on Saturday night. Final score was 40 to 34 to the Melbourne Rebels. Ando, where do we start with this one? There's a lot to talk about. Actually, I think I know where we'll start. What are your thoughts on the disallowed try right on just before full time? Right call, was... wrong call, match on the line. The the Reds disallowed try, the one where Ryan Smith supposedly yep. held back Kemeny. Mate, that's a freaking yep. joke absolute joke there is no way in hell that remember Kimini... what shirt you're wearing there mate remember what <laughs> shirt you're wearing no 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 trust me like i <laughs> i 
I love the Rebels and I think they did really, really well. Um, but there is no way at all that should have been called back. That is overly pedantic officiating where it doesn't read the flow of the game and you just needed to speed it up. You needed to put it in real time, watch it through a few times and go, mate, he was never getting to that at all. He was never getting that tackle. Um, So in my mind, it had no impact upon the game and it should have been an opportunity for James O'Connor to kick a winning conversion from the sidelines. Like how good would that have been? Him just standing, staring off into the distance, chiseled jaw, windswept hair, lining it up and then he takes the kick and oh, that would have been a sight for the ages. But to the benefit of the Rebels, and in some ways, there, no. <laughs> getting a bit ahead of myself, but um, in some ways, the Rebels deserved the win. I thought that they were really, really consistent. The Reds looked great in patches, but then seemed to struggle with some of the multi-phase play that the Rebels were putting on, particularly within the first half. One of the things I was really impressive from the Rebels' performance was just their free-flowing nature, and their mm. their handling was fantastic. Like we've seen other Australian sides try and emulate that type of play, pop passes, you know, get tackled or go to ground, pop the pass to the player coming through. So often the Australian teams just put that ball down. But the Rebels scored two or three tries just from that backup play this week. And it was so exciting to see the ability to keep that ball flowing. Yep. Um, There were some really great moments in attack from both teams. Like Josh Fluke is just kind of like Adam Ashley Cooper-esque in just being at the right place at the right time. Um, That opening try that he had from James O'Connor, who did kind of the in-ball, I love that whole play. The no-look pass. The no-look pass, because what what I really enjoyed about it was the kind of whole team approach to manipulate the Rebels' defence to allow that to happen. So it comes off the back of a scrum. The Reds are able to wheel the scrum to the right, and Ryan Lawrence is on the far side of the scrum. And he tries to then chase Kalani Thomas around to um, disrupt the pass from the base of the scrum. And because he's chased and falls over in tackle, and because Wilkin as the flanker has been wheeled around, there's this massive gap between the first defender on the open side for the Rebels and then anybody coming across. And so O'Connor runs at the angle, targets the first defender, knows that he has Fluke coming in and just pops it, no look back inside. And there's acres of space because of the way that the Reds have been able to manipulate the Rebels in that point. Loved it. Great team try. Like, sure, O'Connor gets the highlight reel for the no-look pass inside and Fluke for the put down, but it's a whole team try to enable that space to be there. It's kind of frustrating from a Reds perspective that they weren't able to kind of continue that trend throughout the rest of the game. And it's something that we've seen particularly predominant this year is in games, they kind of, they do some, they have a few really good phases and they they get a few um, like scintillating attacks together, but then they'll have a 10, 15 minutes of just really poor defense and just sort of dropping balls, giving away penalties and allowing the opposition to either get that dominance. So they're coming in and out of games at the moment, which yep. is just really, it's hamping, hammering their flow and just not allowing them to really settle into games and, and, and sort of dictate terms. Yeah, that's a really good point. And one of the things um, in our Discord chat, just plugging out again, get involved and join, um, Rev was saying after the game was that he thinks that the Reds are still struggling to have uh, good decision-making. So particularly within the offload game, there are times where they're trying to push the offloads within a tackle when it's just not on and they need to be more confident about picking and choosing. And I guess that comes from experience together as a team. But experience playing within tight moments where the opposition are really pressuring you defensively. And we know one thing about the Rebels is that historically they haven't always been the most fluid team within their attack. But what they do is they drag you down into a mud fight. They pull you down and they just wrestle and will not let you get flow and continuity into your game. And for large portions of the game, the Rebels were able to do that. So the Reds were great in patches. And I wonder if the critique isn't about the Reds not being able to be consistent with the smoothness of their play, but it's more actually about the Rebels disrupting in terms of ruck effort, in terms of line speed and the like to put the Reds under those error opportunities. And building on that, one of the things the Re- Rebels are doing, the Rebs and the Reds, geez, it's, <laughs> it's easier to slip up there. Uh, one of the things the Rebels are doing on top of that, yes, in defense, they're really slowing down the opposition ball and, and, and dragging the, the pace of the game down to their style. 
but they're also starting to develop an ability to counterattack like the New Zealand teams. And it only takes a pinch. It takes one play to get half a break and they're there in support. They throw the ball around. And we saw that this week. Monty Iwani is just looking better and better every minute he plays for the Rebels. He's had a bit of a yep. slow start to the season, but this week particularly was like his, his um, link play was fantastic. He was just there in all the right times. Yeah, exactly. And I thought Lockie Anderson probably had his best game for the Rebels as well. Um, the second Ando in kind of Australian rugby. It's all right, mate. Um, it's all right. We can chat about who, who's the number the, one Ando. The less, be- the less um, good one. The one that yeah. doesn't have a six-pack. Exactly. Yep. Him, right? Um, but yep. yeah, I him. thought he probably had one of his best games for the Rebels as well. And it just shows when you combine Joe Pink as having quite a strong game, like he had over 100 and. 110 run meters as well a couple of clean breaks defense defenders beaten like their back three are actually performing quite well and providing that more consistent opportunity now that you've had monte Yuani nailed down at 11 jersey and lucky anderson just get that continuity at 14 because if you remember last season we were always um critiquing or complaining or commenting about the just the swapping in the Rebels' back line. It, looked, it was a lottery every week who was going to be starting where. But now they're getting that consistency. Like Stacey Ely had moved out from 12 to 13, I think, this week. Um, played well. But he's had basically the same players around him for the last, the last few weeks. Carter Gordon, fifth game, starting at 10 on a trot. And that just didn't happen last season. So it's just so good to see these players getting that opportunity for consistent selection and consistent positions. And we're saying, seeing players like um, Anderson, Ioane, um, now Pincus, but particularly Carter Gordon step up. Question for you. Carter Gordon, next Wallabies training squad, yes? Oh, he has to be. He has to be included in that wider squad for sure. He's, I mean, the mullet, it speaks for itself. You can't have a hairdo like that and not be selected for national honours. Come on. We're Australia, mate. We're not... I don't know, mate. I don't, I don't know. know. I'm not sure I'd be able to support the Wallabies if you had a mullet like that. Yeah, I know. I, I do actually wonder if Eddie Jones would get him into camp and just be like, all right, boys, here we go, and, and just got the, the barbers... The Clippers out and just hammed off all the mows, all the moustaches. The <laughs> yeah, got rid of all the coloured boots. Old school Eddie. I'd love to see it. Uh, but no, wh- he's looking really good this year, mm-hmm. Carter Gordon. He's going from strength to strength. One thing that I thought about when I was watching this game was that he's looking more and more like a Quade Cooper sort of uh, emulator in the way that he's getting those deft offloads away that he's just being able to, with such accuracy, find the player on his inside without necessarily watching. Um, I know that Quade Cooper is one of his idols. He's a a Queensland boy. Um, And, yeah, the more time he gets in that 10 jersey, the better he's getting at the moment. Yeah, particularly impressive for me. I think it was the... um... Ekuasi try, but I'm not 100% certain on it. But one of the tries that he does, he gets the ball running kind of at an angle and spots Zane Nongo. No. Um, who was the other prop for the Reds? Um, it was Dane Zander. Zander. Sorry, Dane Zander. Um, spots Dane Zander in the defensive line and then just steps off his right and accelerates through that gap. And it's amazing how he seems to have the speed and the agility to be able to do that really effectively. There's not many other 10s in Australian rugby at the moment that seem to have that burst of speed to be able to get through the gap. And so he's getting his arms free and then going for the offload really, really effectively. And I just like that he's growing in confidence. He's showing a decent kicking game, showing good um, passing and distributing. He's willing to take the line on. And this week he was putting in some big hits in defense as well. So it wouldn't surprise me to see him in that Wallabies training squad. Um, just, just so Eddie mm-hmm. Jones gets an opportunity to look at him a bit closer uh, and maybe get him to have a haircut. And give him a haircut. Yeah, exactly, yeah, mate. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's looking really good. And I think he's got, at currently, he's got uh, a game play and a game style that's different to what the other 10s are currently bringing, particularly Ben Donaldson, Tane Edmed, James O'Connor, Noel Alessio. He's yep. different. He he plays differently. He's um, And and whether that's the, the structure that the Rebels are doing at the moment or just his skill set and the confidence that he's growing, but he's picking the opportunities to attack in the line and find those spaces really well. And like you said, he's got that acceleration, but he's also got that sidestep that he's yep. able to do to step around the defender and then hit that acceleration almost like straight away. 
which is really exciting. And I don't think some of the other 10s we've got at the moment are as fast um, over that short distance as, as Carter Gordon is. No. And one of the other things that really impressed me about kind of the Rebels in a broad sense, but Carter Gordon executing was um, they were more than willing to vary the way in which they were playing and kind of build upon the confidence that they've shown this season. So if you remember um, within a match, the Rebels had an opportunity to take a second kick to the line for a line out basically on a five meter for the Reds and um, Carter Gordon shapes up for it and then turns, taps and passes it on and two or three phases later over for a try, over for a try. And the forwards were set up for it. They knew it was coming and the Reds, the, the defensive line was kind of ready, but it was still a surprise for them. And so they weren't able to get those kind of dominant tackles to push the Rebels back. And it just for me showed a, um, a willingness of the Rebels to play with a bit of flair and a bit of confidence that they have the skill to be able to execute something that surprises the opposition. They're bringing the game to the to the enemy, to to their opposition, rather than just trying to sit back, absorb and counterpunch here and there. They're trying to impose themselves upon the match. And I really I've really been enjoying that. I think there's one person in in Super Rugby Pacific that we need to thank for this Rebels surge in success at the moment and that's Adi Surveyor. I think that <laughs> game in round two in Super Round, like they were playing all right in that first half, but at the end of that half and that whole outbreak and that scuffle and it was all going off, Carter Gordon's getting thrown around, death threats are being thrown, you know, things are being sent in the mails just all over the place. Uh, they've come back from that. They've got, they were angry that second half. They played really well and that's given them confidence. And that's something that I don't think we can can speak about for a Rebels team for years, that they've come into games with confidence, they're backing themselves, they're taking opportunities, they're taking and doing things on the rugby field that aren't necessarily expected of them, like that quick tap. Um, And it's it's really exciting. It's great to see that there's a, a new team that's up the top of the Australian rugby. Question for you, I guess, Ando. Currently, you'd say that the Rebels are the second best Aussie team. Do you think that's that's fair? Is that a, a good estimation of where they're at? Well, not according to the latter, I wouldn't. Um, <laughs> so they're currently the third Australian team. So you've got Brumbies and Reds and Rebels. So Brumbies have an extra bonus point. Sorry, Reds have a bonus point but over the Rebels. But they've beaten both the Reds now and the Waratahs. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm just saying in latter position. Yeah. Um, so, look, I'd still probably say the Reds are better than the Rebels, Um, just because if the Reds are able to find that consistency, like they put on three tries in 13 minutes um, at the start of the second half, they can turn it on. And if they are able to get that consistency, they'll be excellent. But the Rebels are fully deserving of the kind of plaudits that they've been having about their improvement and the um, the dogginess and the consistency that they're starting to show a bit more um, within the last within the last few weeks. The Waratahs and the Force, yeah, they probably deserve at the moment to be out of the question or out of, out of the conversation because they've just had really poor starts to the season. You can't excuse it; like it's they've just been bad. They've been poor, and the Rebels. I'll, um, um, I'll disagree with you on that point there, Ando. If you're going to say that the Reds are better because of the players they don't have on the field. And the injuries that they've that. currently got, and that's that. why they're not. <laughs> I did so not say sort that. of what you were saying that they're just no, wasn't. able to get into games and that consistency. Sure. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, look at the injury list for the Rebels as well, and the way that they're playing without them. They're missing um, Rob Liotta. They're missing uh, Andrew Kellaway, and they're missing Reese Hodge. Like three and Wallabies that were having massive impacts. And Matt Phillip. Yeah, can't think, can't forget him. So if those guys were playing as well, just think about how much better they could be. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah I'm really impressed with the Rebels currently. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, Andrew Kellaway is meant to be back next week, which is pretty exciting. Oh, and credit to the Rebels. They're actually putting out like pretty regular medical updates on the pr- progress of their players back from injury. And that's something that we've heard from the Rebels directly, that they're trying to build the quality of the communication from the club out to the competition in a broader sense. So well done, Rebels. Really, really enjoy that. Um, don't worry, Tars. I still love you. You're still my team, but I do like what the Rebels are. And they get their match. They get their teams out early too. Even if they're playing on a Sunday, they're still at like Wednesday or Thursday morning. None yep. of this Friday night stuff. 
which is the worst for fantasy, seriously. Uh, any team that releases yep. their uh, their squad on a Friday is just dead to us. <laughs> All right. I think that's it. Are we um, are we done for the, the round of the week? Shall we move now into our NRL segment? I think so, mate. We're going straight into it? Yeah, let's get into it. So yeah, we've had um, a, a, a question has come in from one of our fans on instagram um i had his name here but i've seemed to have <laughs> lost it so <laughs> you you take over ando i'll get the name up and we'll keep going yeah let's do it let's do it okay um and it was uh jack cheatham so thanks jack for this question coming oh, in perfect. can you please list the best starting 15 purely made up of current nrl players so i'm gonna say this was really hard because mitch and i barely watch NRL, we've got way too much rugby union uh, that we need to get through each week and our wives would disown us if we tried to watch more sports throughout the week. Um, so what we had to do was um, put together a provisional list and then hit up a bunch of our rugby loving mates to help us out here. So that's the first thing. That's the first kind of proviso that I'm throwing out there. The second one is that some positions in rugby union just do not exist in rugby league. So props and second rows in particular, they just don't exist. <laughs> um, so, and like literally, prop- flankers don't exist in the league. Yeah, literally. Yeah, like anyway. So, yeah, like it's just really, really hard to get a front row with all the specialist positions. Sorry, a um a forward pack in fifteen man rugby, uh, considering the specialization of all the positions. So we've tried. So we're going to go through this. Um, let's start it off, Mitch. Bring up the slide, and to start off with our front row, I basically just tried to find the best props who were also not gigantically tall <laughs> that that was my um that was my measure <laughs> within these positions so we've got uh starting and i guess in... we should also say that like this doesn't necessarily have to be uh a wallabies team this is just oh, no, the team because no. and jared warrior hargraves is a is a kiwi he's a kiwi yep exactly um so yeah jared warrior hargraves at prop you got junior polo as hooker and then josh papali'i as prop as well then in the locking department we put nelson asofa solomona and jai arrow before rounding out the back row viliami kiko angus Crichton, and david fafita at eight i thought that choice for number eight was a lot of fun there um you could have probably put any of our front row in at number eight as well and it would have worked um it seems like rugby or in the back row yeah uh, a rugby league prop is essentially a rugby union number eight, realistically. Uh, they they just get more time to rest in between actions because they do one hit up and then walk for the next 15 minutes. Um, so we then <laughs> we'll come off. Into... We'll literally come off. <laughs> we'll literally come <laughs> off the field. Um, Dam- so we'll move into the ba- um, back line now. So you've got Damian Cook at number nine, Nathan Cleary. Who else are you going to put at number 10? Uh, then we put Valentine Holmes and Latrell Mitchell as our wingers to get a combination of kind of the physicality and speed and skill. Joseph Sueli at 15. Who else could we have put there? with this current weekend we did have a bit of a question over 12 because jerome luai seems to be that um kind of hard running center but all like physical center but also with a kind of three-way skill set as well in terms of kick pass carry but also cam munster with the rugby union background seemed like a good fit there and we also had to fit in tom trebojevic turbo trebojevic as well so yeah he he was in at 13 so we had two jerome luai and cam munster undecided at 12 and trebojevic trebojevic at 13. what did you make of this 15 mate it was a pretty hard one to come together i mean i've got to be i've got to admit and be realistic i basically put the bones of this team together based off the origin teams from last year new south wales and queensland in the decider because i had no idea (laughs) outside of that josh papali was probably the first player that i put down because i could realistically see him um packing down at either tight head or loose head he's that type of player outside of that like nathan cleary as well number 10 obvious but geez it it's pretty tough, isn't it? Like, as you yeah. said, there's so many variables. It's, it's, would this team even be successful? Probably not. No. Um, but no. it's, it's a bit of a fun exercise nonetheless. Yeah, it really is. And so what I'd love from um, our dear listeners is, can you let us know, particularly within a front row, uh, sorry, 
forward pack, particularly within the forward pack, there, there are obviously a lot of specializations within rugby union. We may not have chosen the most appropriate league player that you think has the specific skill sets for like a blind side flanker versus an open side flanker. Please let us know who you would have put into those positions if this was your opportunity. We'd love to hear it because we've done our best, but we admitted we're not massive NRL watchers, so we would really need your input here. Please let us know on social media who you would put in. Particularly, don't just say, oh, that was a crap choice, or you should have included this player. You've got to say who you're taking out of the team, like what position they would be playing in. So be really yeah, specific. who are you yeah. swapping him for? Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So we'd really value that. And thank you. Thank you very much, Jack, for the question. It was, it was a lot of fun putting this together and nice to do something that's a little bit different. Hey, Question for you, Ando, before we move off this NRL theme. Joseph Suwali has signed with um, rugby. He's coming across. If you could sign any other player, don't worry about uh, the money or any of that stuff. Who in the NRL would you like to see playing Union? There are a few names in the media currently going around, but is there anyone that jumps out to you that you would love to see? make that jump back back across or across for the first time? Oh, look, I really don't know, mate. Um, I think like Josh Papaliti has just been an absolutely amazing player for a long time. I think maybe James Tedesco from a couple of years back would have been one of the players that I'd absolutely love to see playing at 15 in rugby union. Uh, he just seems to have mm-hmm. the physicality, the speed and acceleration combined with the agility. Like he's just one of like rugby league, fullbacks are bloody exciting and i'd love to see so many of them come across to rugby union um so okay i'll say james tedesco but i don't i probably don't fall enough to know like the top players right now in 2023 who would be exciting for a transition yeah yeah no that's fair enough that's fair enough i've got questions over um angus Crichton. i think he'd be quite helpful to come across into union i know he's taking a bit of time off from the nrl at the moment due to his own sort of mental health personal reasons uh, he does have a union background. It'd be interesting to see how he goes. He's not the type of player I'd be throwing a lot of money at, though, because if you, realistically, we've got him listed number seven. We don't need players in the back row. We don't really need players in the forward pack um, mm. from league. So uh, it would be interesting to see how he would go, but I wouldn't be breaking the bank to, to sort of do it. Would, would you be open to the idea of uh, like a kangaroos versus wallabies or a union versus league <laughs> sort of some form of game just to see oh. how a team like this would go? Look, if an entire competition got like a uh, tournament got cancelled for some reason, I don't know, like World Cup, like everybody a COVID, got really COVID sick break. or COVID or something like that. And Again. so a competition just doesn't exist. Um, in a space, yeah, sure, give it a go. Just fill it with something and just have it for the giggles to see what happens. But outside of that, I don't want our players to be playing more games if they're going to be like a meaningless game and it's not really going to add anything because if you look at the um, frustration we have around Sami Karevi getting a long-term injury from playing sevens at the Commonwealth Games, then how angry would the fans and the clubs and just RAB if a key player like Michael Hooper went the down fans? in a meaningless... Or Rev. <laughs> this is we- true. Not saying about Karevi this time, but um, <laughs> do you, like if Hooper went down playing a kind of rugby union versus rugby league match that meant nothing and Hooper got a long-term injury, like it, it's, just, it's just not worth it for either side. There's, there's nothing to be gained from it. Yep. Uh, I'd be interested to see how it goes, just to see who would win and what the bragging rights would be. It might, um, it might get that little horseman to shut his mouth for a little while. Oh, mate! The best part of it would be watching the league players actually pack down for a scrum. That would just be hilarious um, to see. Realistically, though, bold. if we were to ever do this, I think we're in the best. Currently, the Wallabies are in their best setup with Eddie Jones in charge because we know Eddie Jones is a big league man. Big league man. He's already got a few leagueies in the coaching staff. He's yep. always keeping an eye on what's going on in the NRL. He's done a bit mm-hmm. of work both sides. So, um, yeah, I think if if it were to go ahead, this is our opportunity to win something. Yep. All right, mate. Well, I think that's brought us to the end of this section. And with that in mind, I think it brings us to the end of the podcast, mate. So I don't know about you, but I've had fun tonight. Yeah, it's been good. Um, it's always great to talk about the Rebels. I think they're doing really well this season and, um, to see them go from strength to strength is just really heartwarming. A bit of a, you know, underdog story that's 
you know, we didn't give them a whole lot of uh, praise going into the season or weren't too optimistic, but they're doing really well. Their season's building nicely. They're putting in some good performances and that's just really exciting to see another team in Australian rugby being competitive. Yep, definitely. Well, on that positive news note, well done everybody across the weekend for the amount of rugby that we've all been able to watch and support and make sure, I just want to put this final shout out, get out to your local Super W games across the next few weeks. Uh, Five weeks remaining, uh, four weeks remaining actually before the... um, And then finals. Before the finals kick in. So get out there, support the women, make your voices loud and buy merch and just talk them up around the place because they deserve our support. Mitch, thank you so much. And everybody have a wonderful week and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Signing off. Bye.